Glad you're here. Hey, why don't you grab your Bibles and uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, uh, we'll be finishing off chapter 10 this morning, verses 32 uh, through, 30, uh, through 42. Uh, looking at uh, the, the five C's of discipleship, if you will, as Christ teaches us about what it means to be his follower. Um, we've been working our way through Matthew for several weeks, and uh, then uh, starting in a couple weeks, we'll be taking a turn into our summer sermon series entitled Ask the Pastor. Um, we've gotten some really good questions, so I'm really encouraged by that. Keep them coming. We'll keep the box open for a few weeks into the sermon series. So I just encourage you to keep asking uh, those good questions. I'm looking forward to answering them. Uh, so thanks for that. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. I trust that you're there. Uh, let's pray, and then uh, we'll begin. So uh, would you pray with me, please? Father, it is uh, really good for us to be here. We are so grateful for the privilege of being together um, as people who have been bought with a price. And therefore, you ask us to glorify you with our bodies. We are not your own. You have ra- uh, our own. We have, you have ransomed us. You have paid the penalty uh, for us. You have purchased us unto yourself. And then you have called us to uh, deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow you. And we know that uh, you yourself, Jesus, have done that for us. And it's because of what you've done that we can do that. And so, Father, we would ask that you would um, help us and teach us, we pray, through this time in your word. Open our hearts to your word. Open our, our, our minds to your word. Help us to be willing to obey. And we ask these things in uh, Jesus' powerful name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Well, shortly after joining the Navy, uh, a new recruit approached his officer and asked for a pass because he wanted to attend uh, a weekend uh, weekend wedding. And the officer graciously gave him that pass, but he informed the young man that he would have to be back strictly uh, to the base by 7 p.m. on Sunday. To which the young man replied, well, well, you don't understand, sir. See, I'm, I'm in the wedding. And to that, the officer replied, no, you don't understand. You're in the Navy. You know, I, I kind of wonder if, uh, I mess with my mic here, I kind of wonder if uh, new Christians sometimes need a, a word like that. I think a similar thing uh, could be said of the, of the new Christian who uh, has just trusted in Christ and is wanting to sort of lead his or her own life. Here in this passage in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is essentially going to say, no, no, you don't understand. You are a Christian now. Right? You follow me. As we close Matthew 10 this morning, Jesus is going to teach us a similar truth as the officer wanted to teach that young cadet. That is that we are his disciples, we belong to him. And, and he's going to really teach us about the nature of what it means to be a Christian. The nature of what it means to be a Christ follower. So Jesus is going to end chapter 10 uh, in this time of preparation. If you recall the context in chapter 10, Jesus has gathered together 12 hand-picked men. He's made them his apostles. He has given them this mission to go throughout the cities of Israel and to preach that the kingdom of God is at hand. And he has then given them this little mini sermon to prepare them both uh, to preach his message and to go on his mission. But in doing so, he sort of looks ahead to the future. He knows that these 12 will, will form the foundation of the church. And he knows that these 12 will face opposition and even persecution as they go out doing his ministry with his message. And friends, we've been learning about preparing ourselves for discipleship and for suffering and for animosity. And so he closes this time 
with what I will call the five C's of discipleship. So if you're taking notes, five words, they each start with C. We see Jesus working through, number one, the consequence the consequence of discipleship in verses 32 and, uh, and 33. Next, we'll see the conflict that often arises because we are his disciples, 34 through 36. Next, Jesus will say in verse 37, he will tell us the cost of discipleship. Next, in 38 through 39, we will see uh, the call of discipleship. And finally, it's compensation. There is a rich reward for those of us who follow Christ. So I trust you're there in your Bible. Let's begin in verse 32 and 33 with the consequences of discipleship. Jesus begins in verse 32. He says, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But, contrast, but whoever disowns me before others... I will disown before my Father in heaven. As Cassie Bernal was crouched underneath the table in her high school there in Columbine, it's hard to imagine what must have been running through not only her mind, but everybody else's mind in the midst of such tragedy. Shots had been fired, lives had been taken. And as the boots of what would be eventually her murderer approached that table, it's reported by some eyewitnesses that she was then asked the question, Do you believe in God? Do you believe in God? She responds, Yes, that she does. And immediately she was taken from this life into the next life. As we read these words of Jesus... Certainly, they must give Cassie's family and us as well a great deal of hope. Cassie acknowledged Jesus before others. And what does Jesus promise he will do for her? He will acknowledge her before his Father in heaven. Notice the consequences that Jesus lays out for us. It's pretty black and white. He says, if we acknowledge him before others, right, on earth, then he will acknowledge us before his heavenly Father in heaven. However, Jesus says, if we disown him, then what happens? He will disown us. So, so Jesus is saying, if we, if we tell the truth about who he really is before other people, then he will tell the truth to his heavenly Father about who we really are, right? That we are true and genuine disciples. He says, if you speak for me, then I will speak for you. Friends, here, Jesus assumes that his disciples will speak about him. He assumes that genuine believers will acknowledge him before others. As, as Dr. Nelson says, this is not a condition of salvation, right? It doesn't earn you salvation. This is an assumption of the saved. Jesus says, believers, acknowledge me before others. And it leads us to our first truth for training. Disciples of Jesus, acknowledge him publicly. Disciples of Jesus are not afraid to speak his name, to stand for his truth in a very public fashion. Beloved, our faith is not a private faith. Our faith is not a private faith. Yes, it is a personal faith. 
And we all rejoice in that, that we can have a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. We often emphasize this as evangelicals, and rightly so, right? It is a personal faith. We must personally trust in Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. But friends, when we speak of personal faith, beloved, do not mistake a personal faith for a private because personal does not need, mean private, right? We, we can't fulfill, Jesus says, the basic requirements of being his disciples in a private manner. There is an acknowledgement before others that can look like a whole host of things that must occur. See, the Christian life, the Christian faith, being a disciple of Christ, it's not just something that we do here for an hour on Sunday mornings, or two hours if you go to Sunday school, right? Or three hours if you come back for a prayer meeting, and I hope you do, right? It's not just something we do on Sunday mornings, right? In a church building. It's every hour, uh, every minute of every day of our entire lives. Jesus begins here very clearly by saying there are (coughs) excuse me, consequences (coughs) of discipleship. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge them before my heavenly Father. Disciples of Jesus acknowledge him publicly. But not only do we see the the very uh, eternal, if you will, consequences of discipleship. But notice in verses 34 through 36, we see the conflict that will arise. Jesus speaks very... um, Uh, stark words here. He doesn't mince words in verses 34 through 36 as he talks about the conflict of discipleship. Look at the text. He says, Do not suppose that I have come to to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And then he explains. What does he mean by that? Well, he explains it starting in verse 35. For, here's the reason... For I have come to turn, and here he quotes uh, Micah 7. We'll speak to that in a moment. He says, For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Here, Jesus speaks about one of the consequences of his coming. And he speaks of the, the, the result, the consequence of somebody becoming one of his followers, followers as if it was the very purpose, right? Don't suppose I have come to bring peace to the earth. Martin Luther once said, if our gospel were received in peace, it would not be the true gospel at all. That's sort of what Jesus is saying here. He says, being a follower of Jesus often introduces conflict into our lives. And notice, not only does it, does it often bring conflict into our relationships, but, but he says it, it can bring conflict even into the very closest of our relationships. Did you see that? He said, a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against 
her mother-in-law, our, our enemies will even be those in our own household, Jesus says. He's, he's referring to Micah chapter 7. And there in Micah chapter 7, uh, the prophet Micah speaks of, 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 a, of a time in the nation of Israel when there was a righteous remnant who, who wanted to follow after God, who wanted to obey the law, but they were bearing, being persecuted. There was a division within the nation, and, and many, many people were turning to, to idol worship. And those that were turning away from God were doing what? They were turning against those who were staying faithful. And in that day, Micah says, that it could be your dad that turns against you. It could be your son that turns against you. It could be your daughter-in-law that turns against you. Jesus says that the division that occurred back in Micah's day points towards a coming time both in his day and in our day when being a disciple of Christ might bring conflict into your lives from those whom you love the most. It brings us to our second truth for training. Not only do disciples of, of Christ, not only do we acknowledge him publicly, but we should expect family hostility. Family hostility. One pastor tells a story that he was speaking at a church camp in Arkansas and he was preaching on these very verses that we're going over in Matthew chapter 10 this morning. And um, as he finished the sermon, there was an older gentleman uh, who approached him, an, an older Jewish uh, ethnic uh, gentleman who was a Christian. Uh, he, wa- he grew up in an Orthodox Jewish family, but converted to Christ. And he tells the story that this gentleman approached him and, and tried to speak with him. But his, his emotions were uh, overwhelming to him. And as, as hot tears were running down his eyes, he wanted to speak to the pastor, but he simply could not. And so he walked away from this pastor sobbing. Only moments later, the pastor recounts that uh, the man's son uh, approached him and apologized that his father was that way. But he went on to, 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 to tell the story about how, how his dad grew up in an Orthodox Jewish home and was taught the religion of Judaism. And uh, as this man became older, he uh, heard of Yeshua Messiah and he turned and he trusted in Jesus. And on the day when this man told his family that he had trusted in Jesus Christ, that quite literally that day they said, uh, don't ever speak to us again, never come home again. In fact, you are dead to us. And quite literally, they held a funeral service for this son. And so these words of Jesus were very true for this man. Brothers and sisters, some of you know the conflict that being a disciple of Jesus can bring into either your immediate family or your extended family because Jesus has brought, in a sense, conflict into yours. At family gatherings, you you have to watch what you say. You're on pins and needles because if you bring up your faith or matters of uh, related to your faith, you know that a battle will ensue. Verbal swords are drawn and the fight begins. Christian, uh, if you are experiencing conflict, even in your closest of relationships, in your imminent family, in your extended family, friends, rejoice. Rejoice. Because you know that you have been faithful. You know that you are experiencing what Jesus has said here. So rejoice. You are a faithful follower of him. Jesus has spoken of the consequences of discipleship, right? If you 
Acknowledge me, I will acknowledge you. If you disown me, I will disown you. He has spoken of the conflict that being a Christian can bring into our lives, even in the the closest of relationships. But in verse 37, take a look at your Bible, we see the call of discipleship. The call of discipleship. Notice what Jesus says. If anyone loves their father or their mother more than me, Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Because Jesus and his gospel can cause such conflict within this family setting. Because it's true that our daughter-in-law may turn against us. Because it's true that our father may turn against us. Jesus gives this call, this radical call to love him preeminently. And to set him and being his disciple as the utmost of our priorities. Because it may be true that we have to choose between Jesus and our dad. Because it might be true, we might have to choose between following Jesus and following our son-in-law. We might have to choose between following Jesus and following grandma. Right? There, There are conflicts that will arise. And Jesus says when those conflicts arise, truth for training number three, disciples of Jesus must love him the most. We must love him the most. So in that situation, when we're faced with choosing Jesus or family, Who do we choose? Jesus. We choose Jesus, is what he says. So when our spouse tells us not to go to church, when when our spouse persuades us from religious things, we choose Jesus over our spouse. This means when our parents maybe want us to have an abortion, we choose Jesus over our parents. It means if you're feeling called to the international mission field, but your your dad or your mom forbids you to go, you choose Jesus. See, anytime Jesus' priorities, Jesus' moralities, Jesus' laws or words, anytime his priorities, anytime his word comes before us and we have to choose, friends, we must choose Jesus. We must love Jesus. Jesus, even more than our dad, even more than our mom, even more than our siblings, we choose Jesus. Not only that, not only do we see the call of discipleship, but notice the cost of it. Take a look at verses 38 through 39. We see the cost of discipleship. He says, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So not only if we, if we love our mom or our dad more than Jesus, are we not worthy of him? But he says, if we don't take up our cross, we are not worthy of him. Verse 39, whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. There's a story of an old British soldier who fought for the royalist cause under King Charles. And uh, on uh, his tombstone... He lost his life. He lost much of his property, uh, all for the sake of his service to the king. And on his tombstone is written this. He served King Charles with a constant, dangerous, and expensive loyalty. Friends, we don't serve a merely human king, do we not? We serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
and if it is a constant and dangerous and expensive loyalty that a soldier must give to an earthly king, how much more so is it for us? Friends, our loyalty to King Jesus must be constant. And friends, it is dangerous. And friends, it can be an expensive loyalty. Jesus wants us to know that there is a cost to discipleship. What is that cost? Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. See, not only must a disciple honor and choose God over their mother and their father and their children, but he says we must even choose that even above our own life. Right? He says a disciple must be willing not only to face family hatred, but even death. Notice the language, right? Take up your cross. Take up, voluntarily, take up your cross and bear it. In those days, in the Roman world, uh, when a, a, a criminal was to be crucified, we know within the Gospels, it was true of Jesus, that they would force that criminal to do what? To, to bear their cross, to quite literally take it and bear it and, and, and carry the weight of, of the, the instrument of execution to their own death, right? To their own place of suffering and of shame. What does Jesus call us to do? He says, voluntarily be willing to do that, to take up your cross. Friends, bearing a cross doesn't mean that somehow we tolerate some unpleasant situation, right? Like not getting our food fast enough at the restaurant is not bearing your cross, okay? It may be an inconvenience, you may be hungry, but that's not bearing your cross. To bear your cross is to deny yourself and to follow Jesus. It is quite literally dying to yourself. There is a death that must take place if you are a Christian. There is a death There is a death to the rights that we presume we have both to run and to rule our own lives, right? It's a death to self. It's a death to sinful impulses and actions. So why should we do that? Why should we do that? Well, notice verse 39. He says, whoever finds their life, whoever finds their life, whoever seeks to save their life, What will happen? Will they really find life? No. He says, but if you choose to lose your life, if you choose to deny yourself, if you choose to take up your cross, if you choose to follow him daily, then what will happen? Death will lead to what? It will lead to life, right? To life eternal, both now and forever. And it leads us to our fourth truth for training. Disciples of Jesus surrender their lives. Friends, the Christian life is the surrendered life. This is at the very heart of what it means to be a follower of Christian, a follower of Christ. When we come to know Jesus through faith and through trust in His gospel for what Jesus did for us alone, we come to Him knowing that we're not just getting sort of this get-out-of-hell-free card. Remember Monopoly, right? Don't like that game. But remember Monopoly, right? You get a what? Get out of jail free card, right? You had these cards and you could, you could use it, right? That's not what the gospel is. It's not a get out of hell free card and then you have no obligations after that, right? We are taking on a new master, a new lord, a new king over our lives. We are surrendering the rights to live the way we want, to do what we please, to pursue sinful pleasures, 
to set the course and the direction of our lives. So if a person says, I want to be a Christian, but I still want to live my own life, I still want to do what I want to do, I still want to live how I want to live, Jesus says, you cannot be a follower of mine. You cannot be a follower of mine. You are not worthy of me, is what Jesus says. This is not an addendum to your life. Adding, it's not a nice add-on, right? It's a call to deny ourselves our priorities and to take on the priorities of our king. Pastor Lee Eckloff, he's a, a pastor up in suburb, suburban Chicago. He's also a professor up at Trinity. And he, he, he tells this story. He says, there once was a game. Now, I don't remember if this was true. Uh, I don't recall this. There was a, a board game in the mid-50s. Maybe you've heard of it. I never have. It was made by Parker Brothers. And uh, it was a game called Going to Jerusalem. Now, it was sort of a religiously themed board game, as you can imagine, right? For kind of Christian families, going to Jerusalem. And he says that uh, there was uh, like a little play piece, right? Sort of the, the, the person you use, right? It was a little plastic man with a robe and a beard and some sandals and a staff. And the way the game worked was you would roll the dice and uh, you would move across the board and you would look up answers to specific Bible questions in this little black uh, New Testament and you would sort of work your way until you got to where? Jerusalem, right? You're going to Jerusalem. So you start at Bethlehem at the birth of Christ, and you sort of make your way through some of the the more pleasant stories about Jesus in the Gospels. But then he makes this point. But in this game, going to Jerusalem, um, you, you, you don't face demons. You don't you don't face the Pharisees. You don't face rejection. There, there is no story about uh, about the cross. In fact, you never get to the cross. You never get to Golgotha. You never get to the resurrection. He says it was a nice, safe adventure. Of course, perfectly suited for the American audience. There weren't any cards or stops that said, Take up your cross and follow me. Friends, I wonder, is that your version of Christianity? Is that what you think the Christian life is? Are there cards or stops in your version of Christianity that says, take up your cross and follow me? Does your version of Christianity include a cross? Jesus' did. Jesus' did. Friends, when Jesus demands of us that we take up our cross, the marvelous thing is that Jesus doesn't ask us to do something that he was unwilling to do himself or that he didn't do himself, right? Because when he spoke these words, take up your cross, disciple, where was he going? To the cross, right? He was willing to go to the cross. And what did he do on that cross? He didn't do what we're going to do when we take up our cross. What happened on that cross? He was going to Jerusalem. He was going to take up his cross to pay the penalty for the sins of me and you. For every human being that has ever lived. He was going to die in our place for our sins. Though he was perfectly sinless, perfectly holy, perfectly just. He was going to bear our cross for us. In our place. Friends, this is the way that the Christian life goes. We first trust in what Jesus did on his cross, right? We first trust in what Jesus did on his cross, and then when we trust in that, he is our Savior, and then what, what does he say to us? Take up your cross, right? Just the very thing that you trusted in me for, for salvation, you take up your cross, you deny yourself, and you follow me. 
Well, the text concludes in verses 43-42, where we see the compensation of discipleship. The compensation of discipleship. These had to be very welcome words for Jesus' disciples, for the twelve. Because they were probably pretty excited. Jesus is like, I'm sending you out to the cities of Israel. I'm giving you my power, right? Heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. They're probably like, yeah, let's go. This is, this is the mission that I have for you. This is the message. And they're probably pretty excited. And then he gives them instructions, right? Don't take any sandals. Don't take any money. Don't take an extra staff. And at that point, they're like, Really? <laughs> right? Are you sure? No, trust in me. Right? And then he says, stay in people's homes if they're worthy. And if they're not worthy, right, take your sandals off and do what? Right? Shake the dust off your feet. And then it gets tough. Right? Then he starts talking about being taken before kings. And then he starts talking about being flogged. And then he starts talking about opposition. He, start, he starts using language like, you're going to be like sheep um, before wolves. And they're thinking... This is not what I signed up for, right? I'm not sure about this. And on and on it goes. He says, take up your cross. And it's, they had to be overwhelmed at this point. Maybe you're overwhelmed at this point. So very graciously, Jesus ends by telling us that discipleship will be rewarded. Notice verse 40. Anyone who welcomes you, welcomes me. Anyone, anyone who welcomes me, welcomes the one who sent me, speaking of his father. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. They had heard severe warnings. Now Jesus gives them great encouragement. With these words, he sort of brings them back to the moment, to the task at hand, going to the cities of Israel, preaching that the kingdom is imminent because Christ the King is there. The nation of Israel needs to repent and trust in Jesus as their Messiah. And he gives them these these encouraging words. He says, listen, I'm going to send you out, and if anybody welcomes you, what are they really doing? Notice sort of the chain of command, right? If anybody welcomes you, apostles, sent ones, my emissaries, then they are in actuality welcoming who? Jesus, because they're sharing the message and the ministry of the king. But he goes on. He says, and if they welcome me, then who are they really welcoming? Who is the one that, was, uh, that sent Jesus? God the Father, right? God the Father sends Jesus. Jesus sends out his disciples, right? And so if you receive the message of the disciple, you receive Jesus. And if you receive Jesus, you receive God the Father. See how the chain works? And this had to be great encouragement to them. He promises both faithful disciples who are sent out with the ministry and message of Jesus, reward. And he also promises a reward to those who receive Jesus' sent out. Disciples, And so that leads us to our fifth and final truth for training. Disciples of Jesus will be rewarded and will be received. Will be rewarded and will be received. Let's begin with the latter. Disciples, uh, the, the, the former. Disciples of Jesus will be rewarded. Now, I find it interesting that Jesus says, listen, whoever receives you, they're going to receive the same reward as the reward promised to the one being sent. Right? Um, 
what, what strikes me is he doesn't say what that is. He just says you're going to be rewarded, right? You'll receive a righteous person's reward. You'll receive a, a prophet's reward. He, he calls this sent person a disciple. Friends, let me ask you, are, are, we, are we told to go? Matthew 28, yes. Are we told to make disciples of Jesus? Yes, we are. Are we told to be his witnesses? Acts 1.8, yes, we are. So we are, we are also sent to go, right? And so there is great reward in that for a faithful follower of Christ. So we can be encouraged, though we might face opposition, though we might have difficult decisions to make. Do I honor Jesus or do I honor my mom? It will be worth it. There will be a reward, Jesus says, but he doesn't tell us what that reward is going to be. At Christmas time, generally speaking, my kids, you know, anticipate sort of Christmas presents and what that's going to be. And, uh, you know, about that time they start sending things in the mail with all these toys. I wish they wouldn't do that. I try to throw them away. But sometimes they, they reach my children's, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, doorstep, right? And so they're, I want this and I want that, right? And then all of these things, this is what they want. Uh, and then occasionally they'll say, well, what did you get us, right? What did you get us? I see the present there. What did you get us? And of course, we don't tell them. I, we may say something like, honey, um, we know what you want. Uh, we love you. Uh, and, and whatever it is that you get on that morning, it's going to be good, right? Do you trust us as parents that we know what you want, that we know how to give you good gifts, right? That's what we're saying. Um, I think Jesus is saying something similar. He says, friends, you don't need to know what the reward is going to be for being a faithful follower of me. It's going to be great, right? It's going to be great. Trust me. But not only will disciples be rewarded, but but notice also, disciples uh, of Jesus will be received, right? This had to be great news, because at this point, uh, they've heard about being flogged and about being put to death. Um, And they're like, is anybody going to... you know, receive our message? If we go out with Jesus' message and his ministry, is anybody going to believe the gospel, right? I mean, we're going we're to get it from all sides. And here at the very end, Jesus says, yes, people will, will receive your message. They will receive me. They will receive the Father. And that is good news. Friends, you will face opposition. You will face hardship. We will face hostility for being faithful witnesses. But there will be some. There will be some who will receive that message. There will be some who will trust in Jesus. There will be some whom the Spirit is working on, and they will place their faith in Jesus Christ. This is wonderfully positive news at the end of a very difficult message. There will be some who will receive our message. I want to close chapter 10 and uh, this little section in Matthew with this story. Some of you may be familiar with um, a book by the name of The Pilgrim's Progress. It's a very old book. It's written in sort of old English. It was written by a man by the name of John Bunyan. Uh, I highly recommend it to you. Uh, it, is, it, is a, it is a parable. It is a story about the Christian life is what it is. And there are multiple characters sort of within the story, but there is uh, one particular character within the story. And his name is Valiant for Truth. Right, he's valiant. He's a soldier. It's what he is, right? And his name indicates 
uh, his faithfulness, right? He's valiant for truth. And so throughout this, this story, he stands for the truth of the king. He suffers for standing for the truth of the king. And finally, he has reached the end of his pilgrimage in the book. And he is, if you will, on heaven's doorsteps, right? He's at, at the pearly gates, you might say. He's about to enter into heaven. And this is what he says. He says, I am going to my father's house. And though with great difficulty I got here, yet now I don't regret any and all of the trouble that I have, uh, has arrived, uh, that has gotten me where I am. He says, my sword, he's a soldier, my sword I will give to the one who shall succeed me in my pilgrimage. In other words, there's more Christians to come. Here's my sword. And then he says, in my courage, he's a valiant knight. He says, my courage and my skill I will give to the one who can get it. But then he says this as he's about to enter heaven. He says, but my marks and my scars... Remember, the marks and the scars that he's received from standing for truth. He says, my marks and my scars, I carry with me. He takes them into heaven with him, if you will. For this reason, quote, to be a witness for me that I have fought his battles, who now will be my rewarder. Isn't that a great picture of what Jesus describes here? There's, a, there's a, a Christian who's been valiant for truth. And he says, I'm going to enter into heaven and I'm going to keep my scars. Because they will be an eternal uh, reminder that I was faithful to my king. That it was through much hardship and travail that I persevered. But I'm going to keep these scars so that everyone will know when I receive my reward, I have faithfully fought his battles. Friends, friends, will this be said of us. When we stand at the pearly gates like valiant, will we have marks and scars to carry with us into heaven? Will they be a witness for us that we have fought Jesus' battles and we have been faithful to the one who is our rewarder? We're going to pray. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and we're going to close with uh, a hymn uh, of uh, singing of the wonderful cross. So would you pray with me as we prepare to close in song, please?